A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? I interviewed Argiris Argiro, who's the head of data, and Constantino or Costas Siaterlis, who's the director of big data at Orpheum. There is a ton of useful information on anti-patterns, what is going well now, advice, etc. in this one. Um, they are a smaller startup around 250 people, while they have some complex domains, I think it's a good lesson around trying to go to full data mesh at a a time when they didn't need to really go all that (laughs) aggressively and that quickly to try and get towards data mesh as kind of fully implemented. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Argyros and Costa's points of view. Number one, on a data mesh journey, quote, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So pace yourself. It's okay to go at your own pace. Don't worry about what other people are doing with data mesh. Do what's right for you. Number two, really focusing on the why and showing people results was a far better driver to buy-in and participation than any amount of selling about data mesh as a practice. And calling it data mesh when trying to explain it to people outside the data team didn't go so well either. But more about that in a second. Number three, Orpheum's quote-unquote data doctor approach, a low friction and low pressure office hours for a general staff data engineer kind of approach. You know, somebody people could come to and ask questions. It's, it's really helped people uh, with their data challenges and in spreading good data practices, but without that doctor becoming a bottleneck. 
The data doctor's role is to answer questions and provide guidance, but not do the work for people. Then take what was discussed and the best practice and and document it for others to learn from, providing that good leverage for scaling best data practices. It's not the same people asking, it's not people asking the same questions over and over. Once somebody's asked it, it kind of goes into almost an FAQ type of, of approach. Number five, in a smaller company like Orpheum, which is about 250 people, it's hard to justify a lot of full-time heads to implement data mesh. You know, a lot of people talk about you need six to 10 people to really implement data mesh. Often, you know, Sean Kaiser was talking about, um, you know, with Gustavo Drakenberg in their episode that it's like six months and that it's, you know, six to 10 people. That's for a 250 person organization it's hard to to really uh, justify that. And trying to treat a data mesh implementation like a side project also creates issues, right? There isn't a great answer here on exactly what to do, except possibly take things slower than most startups are used to if you're in this kind of same boat. Your data will still be waiting for you a few months later. And as I've mentioned multiple multiple times in uh, many episodes, I don't think that data mesh is necessarily right for every company. So if you are a startup, really think about if this is going to be the thing that drives the value or how far to go, how, how quickly. So number six, if you are having difficulty draw, driving broad buy-in, showing people what data mesh can do in action really helped at Orpheum. Once these people saw the approach delivering value, they wanted to participate. Number seven, when trying to drive buy-in, Specifically talking about data mesh, you know, again, using that data mesh term didn't work well with the non-data folks. It's very easy to get confused around data mesh for for data folks. Just imagine it for non-data folks. Number eight, trying to use Jamax articles as the early optimal state for, you know, kind of their data mesh implementation where, you know, they were thinking where you need to be just to get moving. It requires far, far, far too much work. Get to a place where you can try, learn, iterate, and repeat on your way to driving value. It's a journey. Number nine, it's probably not a great idea for your first use case to be your most advanced or complicated. You will build your platform to focus on serving those needs instead of general affordances. Jen Tedrow's episode covers this a lot quite nicely, but a lot of folks have kind of talked about this too, of you don't want, <laughs> you don't want to go with your most mature or your most immature. You want to kind of find a a couple of different domains to test it out with as you're building out your platform. Number 10, really assess how much additional work your data products will be for a data product owner. For Orpheum, it was something to add to the existing product manager's plates as it wasn't a huge incremental burden just yet, right? They're figuring out how to do this now, but as they might add more and more complicated data products or their domains might get much larger, that might not be the case in the future, but for now, it it works for them. Number 11, consider splitting your mesh data product ownership between business context ownership and technical ownership. This is one that's coming up quite a bit. Um, Some people even kind of uh, split it in a third way where it's like, Kind of somebody has accountability that is even different and that so the data product owner is the business context owner and then you know uh, engineering or a data engineer embedded in the domain owns the technical side it's kind of different in, in every org but it, this is this is coming up quite a bit 
Number 12, it's okay to head down the data mesh path while learning what domains really mean. Orpheum was not doing domain-driven design in any sense before starting to do decentralized data. Number 13, don't try to get all your teams to start developing data products at the same time. It is very hard to work with and upskill that many teams, even in a smaller organization like Orpheum. Number 14, Argyris and Costas recommend to start slower than you probably want on building out your platform and start small in general. Don't take on the biggest challenges or too many challenges at once. Number 15, it's okay to have a very high level concept of a mesh data product. For Orpheum, that is essentially, it's a product that is designed like any other software product. It solves problems for customers and is delivered via an API. That helps the non-technical people understand what they're actually delivering. Number 16, a quote, which was, really think about what you are doing and why. Why complicate it more than that? This was said about data products and kind of the data product definition, but it's pretty universal in data mesh. It's, it's easy to overcomplicate. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Argiris Argirio, who's the head of data, and Constantinos, uh, Constantinos Siaterlis, who's the director of big data at, the, uh, at Orpheum. So um, I am uh, really excited about kind of what we're going to be doing today uh, with this conversation because I've, I finally got somebody who's uh, willing to kind of come on and, and talk about their, uh, their actual frustrations around some of the, the things that they're seeing and, and uh, that we've got somebody who's going to, who, who are going to be a little bit more open than trying to sell. Oh, everything's amazing with data mesh because there's a lot of challenges out there. Uh, so we're going to talk about kind of some bumps that they've had along the road. It hasn't been an easy road. And then we're also going to talk about kind of what the heck is a data product and, you know, how do you talk about that to different people, as well as a really interesting concept that I think is going to be useful for a lot of folks out there around uh, the data doctor concept. So uh, with that, as kind of the backdrop, uh, if you don't mind, if, if uh, you could go ahead and give people a bit of an introduction to yourselves, then we can jump into the conversation at hand. My name is Argeris, the Greek with the Greek accent of <laughs> my name. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the head of the at Orpheum. So I'm pretty much responsible for the visual and the strategy on how we monetize our um, clients' data. And just to give a quick intro of what we do as well as, as a company. So we are in the music industry and we are administrating uh, music rights of uh, publishers and record labels. And what we do, we make sure that their um, rights catalogs are up to date and in sync on all these different um, platforms. 
like YouTube, um, uh, TikTok, etc. And then we make sure that there is a proper uh, license usage of that uh, of those rights. And yeah, that's that's pretty much what we do in a nutshell. So we are processing a lot of data. That's why we have the concept of the big data. And that's also why we have a lot of machine learning and a lot of automation in the process. So I will keep it here for now. But in a nutshell, that's what we do as a company. Hello, uh, I'm Costas, or Constantinos, as Scott uh, introduced me. Thank you very much, Scott, for having us. Um, I'm, uh, I work in Orpheum. Uh, I'm the director of Big Data. And I'm currently running uh, the Data Mess Initiative the whole transformation in Orpheum. Uh, I come from a background of data as a data scientist and uh, the aspect of, of Orpheum and, the, and what we do, Argyris covered it very well. So, yeah. Awesome. And, and I, I think what might be interesting to even start with was, you know, uh, Argyris, you talked a little bit about this, of uh, you, you're dealing with a whole lot of data. <laughs> so, but what was the kind of the genesis point? What was the thing that made you say, okay, I really should, uh, we should really look into data mesh. What was the thing? Uh, was there any specific um, catalyst for that? Or, or what was it about data mesh as well that kind of caught your attention that this could be the a good solution for you? Yeah, so when I joined the company, one of my first goals was to build a data team. Um, when I joined, it was just uh, Costas and, uh, and another two, three colleagues. And there was a small team that were pretty much dealing with all data engineering and all the data science needs. So uh, I joined the company with the goal of growing that team uh, because the company was going through a, a fast growth uh, by introducing new products and new revenue streams. So they needed to figure out how they can... Uh, sustain this, let's say, growth uh, in people and in products. And, and yeah, that, that was the main goal. So when we started discussing with the Costas on, so how are we going to do this? How are we going to do the team topologies, et cetera? We tried to map out what were the current challenges of how things were structured. And one of the biggest challenges were that uh, Costas team was a centralized team. Same for the BI. So everyone that needed, let's say, analytics or the data scientists, uh, if they uh, had the need of using data to train machine learning models, they were all going to the to go data engineering, to Costas team, which it was something that couldn't scale. So that was one of the challenges that we needed to figure out that we are either going to hire an army of the engineers to support the scale or... Uh, embed or integrate the engineers in all the different teams that we have in the company uh, or try something different. So that's how we started studying and and figuring out what's out there. So we started um, reading about all the other big guys like, I don't know, Uber, Netflix, Airbnbs on how they're doing all their data platforms. And that's how I end up on the Zamak uh, article on data mesh. And when I read that, I was like, oh, these are exactly the problems that we have now. <laughs> so that's how the data mesh clicked to us. Uh, and what we did with Costas, we spent a lot of time on it. And we said, okay, 
yeah, these are most of the problems that we are currently facing. Uh, and let's see how we can uh, apply them and if they make sense to us. So that's pretty much how we got into data mesh, is by just reading that article, which it just clicked on us. But before doing that, we spent a lot of time in trying to figure out an architecture based on what uh, all the other big companies had in, already in place. So I would say that's pretty much how we started because we wanted to scale and, and build the proper data um, uh, structured uh, team in the company. Yeah, and, and Costas, do you have any uh, kind of additional color to add on that from your perspective as being kind of the person that was the centralized? Uh... Yeah, actually it was um, a pretty... Uh, in quotes, hard period. Uh, everything, uh, every single data point that uh, uh, need to move inside of him was, you know, coming through me. Uh, so yeah, we sat down with Targaryen and uh, we discussed on how how we can decentralize this whole thing. And uh, to be honest, uh, the thing that um, really caught my attention in data mess. Uh, let's say manifesto was the self-service aspect. I, I think that was a key element to allow us to scale, um, to build the self-service self-service platform to for everyone to facilitate their data needs. And uh, yeah, that was my buy-in, to be honest. Well, and that was kind of going to be a little bit about my question of um, a lot of people feel like. This might disrupt their role or their, um, you know, their place even in the industry. So, um, uh, you know, Argiris, I think you you were a little bit more safe than than Costas on this. Uh, Costas, <laughs> how how did you kind of come around to? Okay, maybe I don't need to have that control. Maybe I don't need to be the one that that owns all of the things. Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, to be honest. Uh... I uh, already knew that. I, I, I knew that eventually we're going to come into that state. It's happening uh, on other sections too. Uh, start uh, looking and seeing data engineering and uh, big data uh, as a culture and not as a centralized team that solves everything. And um, the way that we progress, it makes sense. So it's not something that... Um, it makes me anxious or something like that. Uh, it's something nice. It's something beautiful. And uh, I embraced it. Uh, it's uh, for me, okay, either I build a pipeline or I build the infrastructure. I build something uh, in the end. So, and build something very interesting. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my opinion on that. Well, it was a big challenge, to be honest, Code, because he's not going to be the star of the... Of the of the game anymore because he's pretty much decentralized ownership. So in a way, he's gonna have a smaller team and then he's gonna decentralize ownership everywhere. So <laughs> that was a little bit of a challenge, but I yeah. think he really uh, embraced the whole thing yeah, and, and supported it in the best way possible. And did did you have uh, you know not not throwing anybody at the company under the bus, but did you have any challenges internally around driving uh, buy in in general? Was especially um, when we start to talk about you know even just to to get started, and then and once you get started, most people are finding that 
getting the domain owners to <laughs> to be willing to actually own their data and serve it and do do this incremental work, especially if you can't uh, necessarily throw a ton of resources at them, um, is would love to just kind of hear that that story as to um, driving the buy-in around, you know, kind of initially going down this path and then as that's kind of moved forward as well. Um, actually, yeah, I, I can start on that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it was a bumpy road, especially at first. Uh, we, as soon as we identified our problems and uh, what we thought we needed to do to solve it, uh, we started the whole data mess initiative as a, as a side project. And uh, that's because um, we, have, we had many tracks and many products in production uh, in a very fast-growing company uh, on top of with business priorities. And it was very hard to, to go into a product and say, okay, stop what you're doing and start doing otherwise. Or uh, use this tool uh, to facilitate your needs and so on. That was the very hard, the, the hard part. Um, once we, um, we realized that in order to be able to make others start using our platform or infrastructure, uh, we have to first start using it. Eat your own dog food. So we built everything, um, everything in quotes, everything that we needed as a big data team um, to facilitate our needs. And eventually we pushed for adoption to uh, other products. And, and was that, did you find any challenge between you, you built something that was for very advanced people and that you, then you start to move on people that aren't as quite as advanced? I, I've, I've had that as some people have talked about working first with your ultra mature teams and that if you work from your ultra mature teams around data and you work backwards, you've built something that the immature teams have real struggles with. Yes. Yes, that, that you're you're spot on. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, a big data team. Uh, when we started, we already had two um, two data products. Let's call them that way. Uh, two projects, uh, two major projects, projects in our team, and um, it was very data intensive, big data intensive. So we built the platform around that, and uh, it covered. Okay, it covered all of our needs. But when we went to the, uh, the engineering team, uh, the backend engineers, to start using the tools to facilitate their data needs, it was too complex. And it makes sense. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to find that fine line, to be honest. Uh, the, the fine line to be as abstract as possible, to have the best way possible development experience for the, for the engineer, but on the same time, apply the best practices on big data and uh, facilitate your big data needs. Yeah, that 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 UX, that UI around actually getting people to share data, and that you can make it so that uh, you know, okay, is this a good data product? Can people actually understand it? All that, like all of that understanding, and does it actually adhere to best practices, or does it just kind of share some information and not really share it in a way that's scalable and useful and reliant and performant and all. Yeah. It's, 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 it would be nice if there weren't all those challenges, but there definitely are. Um, yeah. Argyris, did you have anything you wanted to add there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. 
it took some time to sell it internally, as I usually like to say, because we pretty much to sell all the things. Uh, it took some time because first we needed to educate high-level people to understand the why, what are the problems that we're trying to solve and why we're trying to uh, follow this type of uh, concept. It took some time on that. Then it took some time to educate the middle management on the concept, engineers and product managers. And to be honest, at the end, we just went for it. So with Costas, let's let's just go for it because it's taking too much time uh, to get the buy-in of everyone. And when we started doing the first implementation in a specific area, then everybody just clicked. I said, ah, okay, so this is what you guys are talking about because it was a new concept. I mean, we started reading about data mesh when it was just recently introduced, so there wasn't much um, content out there to see there are other companies that are doing it and these are the pros and cons, so there wasn't much of content out there. So, you know, we just took it on uh, the risk with process and said, okay, let, let's, let's go for it. We figure out the stack that is... Uh, going to help us on that, and we started doing it in an area. And when they saw it in action, then they said, okay, now we can hear you more. So, yeah, I would say that's how we pretty much started because, yeah, we're trying to explain it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was tough. Because it's like you you introduce new roles. You, You introduce so many new things, which people start to be like, so I need to do this. I need to hire more people. I need to change that. What about things that I have in production? So everybody's just very defensive. They were all very defensive at the beginning. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's uh, one of the big challenges. I, I There was kind of a, a debate around this, but I still stick firmly by my, my thoughts of when you're talking to people internally, if they're not like data people, you don't tell them that you're doing actually like quote unquote data mesh. Because then they start to try and dig into it and figure it out versus like, let's break it down and and that I don't have to introduce all of the four pillars and what that means to them and all of that in one conversation versus like, hey, we're moving to do a couple of these things. One is going to be self-serve data production and one is going to be self-serve data consumption. So let's talk about like the self-serve data production and what that means and why we're doing it. And then you can back off on that conversation. You can have multiple conversations and then move them forward on, on what the consumption means because trying to encapsulate, I mean, look at how difficult it is for data people to, to really fully understand data mesh. Like it, it, it can take 10 conversations of, of, you know, three, four minutes of back and forth around that. It can take a while. It can take, you know, I mean, Jamak's original article, they're, they're 6,000 words. Can you imagine <laughs> putting that in front of like uh, uh, a backend engineer and going, hey, here's all this stuff that you're not really familiar with. You're not really feeling the pain points nearly as much. And there's a bunch of concepts that you're not that familiar with. There's a lot that you actually are because of DevOps and, you know, microservices and all that. But like, we want you to, we're going to do this. And and we're not exactly sure because we haven't seen anybody actually do this in action. So yeah, exactly. I, it's You're, you're singing my, my praises. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this is a very good point because what we started doing at the beginning was trying to explain every different uh, principle of data mesh. And 
we were, we were pretty much improvising. So, okay, self-serve. So this is how the self-serve is going to be because we never seen it before. I mean, we had an idea. Um, and at the end, I mean, this is a project that we took. We just took one area and we said, okay, we're going to do only one thing. We're going to follow only one principle. But at the beginning, we were trying to do everything by the book. <laughs> and we were pretty much improvising <laughs> because we had no idea how that's going to work out. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a good move. <laughs> but, but like, this is so valuable that you're telling people about this because I don't want them to go down the same road, right? Like I want them to be, because you took a, a honestly a, a a big risk by saying, okay, we're just going to start doing it before we had the buy-in. So like that that was very brave of you. So I appreciate that you did, you went out there and did that because uh, it it can be, but it can be super challenging versus like starting from that why like what are we actually trying to achieve here what are we trying to accomplish i i don't care that we're doing it via data mesh like i really don't even though i'm the host of data mesh radio like i don't care that we're doing it via data mesh versus what are we trying to achieve there needs to be business yeah and 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 now that i'm thinking of it you can even use one principle you don't need to do all the principles you you can just follow one concept like decentralized ownership or just do the self serve. You can just use whatever works for you, and that's what we learned because we tried to do everything at the beginning, and I mean, we're still we're still struggling with the governance part. It's just it's so yeah. hard to, to to apply that one. Yeah, I think well that that one's coming up a lot. I've got a, a lot of upcoming episodes on governance. So, um, but yes, exactly. Um, and and I think. You know, Jamak has talked about if you just do one of the pillars, why it drives needs for the other. But I do think that people think that you have to get to maturity with all four of the pillars at once versus like, hey, uh, like if 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 we just have to have only um, request based access for our governance because it's going to be too much issue to do it any other way. OK, I, I, I talked to some folks from ThoughtWorks and. I kind of started poking at this because I had this theory about are you doing PII in your initial data products? And and he like uh Sean Kaiser was like, you know what? Every single implementation, we haven't done a single one of our first data products, even our first few with PII. That's interesting. I didn't think about it, but like building that into your platform is a major pain. So like if it like think about the value add and the value add when right the the return on investment right until you really figure out how you're doing this <laughs> do, do you want to spend all that time to try and especially where where you were right like you didn't have any you're you're being a guide you're being a sherpa for these people that are following you but you didn't have anybody to look to so you were just trying to invent it yourself yeah exactly so we, yeah we we were just says with Costas, okay, we're going to focus on our biggest pain. And our biggest pain, it was that um, all the stakeholders that they needed an analytics, they were going to the BI. And the BI, instead of going to the different products, they were coming to the data engineer. So the data engineer had to go to all the different products, silo data to figure out the context and the domain knowledge and come back. And it's okay, this is something we need to change. So that's one of the first things that we try to do at least communication-wise, <laughs> that, okay, let's go and sit with the product managers. And that's how we started rolling out. Yeah, I mean, um, 
uh, the the whole concept of what that you said that we can follow just one principle and then yes eventually the other four will come and maybe a fifth will appear uh, but at first we you said our problem was the scaling part the communication part uh, not everything needs to go through data engineering because if you have a centralized team it becomes instantly bottleneck. So we want to eliminate that bottleneck. So we start building uh, the infrastructure first. Governance-wise, we haven't uh, be, you know, uh, mastered that field yet, that principle. Uh, we are more of a request-based. And we made, for example, and, and this is, this is the, the good example, we just um, make it easier for us to provide access to others in the data. So we invested some time, not but fully automating the thing or having a self-serve, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a governance, um, the governance pr principle by the book, but instead build something that it's easier for us to manage uh, the access rights in our you know, centralized uh, data warehouse. Well, and I think when we, you mentioned by the book, and I think, you know, this has been uh, a challenge for a lot of folks. Uh, you know, I have the uh, the benefit of having you know one on one access to Jamac, and so you know I, I can I can kind of ping her on these things. But so much of of what her vision of what data mesh is 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 that a lot of what she shares is what the end implementation is, and that how do we get comfortable that that we're we're partway through the journey and that it's okay that we don't have this figured out just yet because we're focusing on the most value add parts or the parts that we can actually execute on at this point because if you don't you're going to drive yourself insane you're going <laughs> to feel like oh we we we're we're a failure we haven't done all this stuff are you adding value is this incremental value are are you know and it's okay to kind of back off and say we're not going to tackle this because it it the cost is greater than the benefit right now. And it might always be that way. You might always not be the final data mesh vision implementation. And that's valid and okay, right? Like it, if you're getting to a place where you're delivering good results on your data, you've succeeded, right? You've succeeded with your data mesh journey, even though you might not have like the official picture of data mesh. Like that that's at least just the way I think about it. Exactly, and I just to uh, continue to the, what you just said is that data mesh uh, help us and and the people internally to change their perspective. I mean, we said we're not going to have a functional data engineering team. It's going to become an enabler, and what that means we're going to be offering the infrastructure for you guys to store, process, and, and do whatever you need to do with your data. And and this was just a just a change of perspective. We didn't touch any code. We didn't develop anything. We just said, this is how you're going to communicate and this is how you're going to be uh, interact with data engineering. And, and this was enough for them to change the way they uh, think and the way they ask um, stuff from the specific team. And so just by just discussing and explaining them that this is how we're going to move forward. We're not going to do it tomorrow. But this is how we move forward, and 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 it was something that everybody understood. It, it makes sense. So just to what you, you said, 
sometimes it's just changing a little bit your perspective. You can see quick wins <laughs> without even doing anything. It's just, yeah. Well, and, and I think what you said as well of that, this is how we will move forward. It's not changing tomorrow. I think people no, right. are used to hard pivots, hard, okay, we are now doing this thing and, and we're going to uh, break apart the monolith. And instead of thin slicing, we're going to go in with a sledgehammer and it just explodes into all these. Ch- no, we, we've got to do this in, in a controlled, uh, sensible manner. Um, so Costas, I, I wanted to give you uh, as well some space to react to that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, a huge benefit uh, that I see, um, and I can attribute 100% to data mess, is that when we started implementing and start uh, seeing the principles and how it's going to fit in our comp- company, um, we didn't have domains. We had products. The, the whole company was product-led. And um, the the first thing that we realized is that we have to change some of the we cannot go by the book. We have to change some principles uh, that we have to follow in order to match in our structure you know, the the way we work. Uh, but eventually, that thing data must triggered the whole domain driven design, and uh, this is something that we are actually. Um, learning about and uh, we start implementing it and the whole thing came from data mess um yeah it's uh, it was it was a bumpy road to be honest and uh, making that adjustments in, in data mess without any actual material out there it was tricky but eventually it worked Actually, this is a good point that Cosas makes is that you don't have to be domain driven design structured in order to start working with data mesh because we got introduced to domain driven design when we started working with data mesh. So there wasn't any domain concept or anything uh, in place. So I don't know if there's any notion that you need to be domain driven design in order to work with data mesh, but for us, we had no idea what domain driven design was back then. But now, after working data mesh, it started to make sense, and we introduced the concept, and we're currently working on it as well. I, I think what a lot of people have said is it's okay to start moving forward, but it's going to be slightly more difficult. But uh, chicken and egg, right? Like if you want to do it, data it, mesh, you can start. Yeah, yeah, for us, we, it makes sense without even having the domains. But now, it, yeah, the more we move towards domain, it makes things more easier. And at least now they understand better the, the different concepts. I wanted to circle back on one thing that you, you, you talked about a couple of times here, which was the new uh, responsibilities and roles and how can a domain handle that? You know, when we talked in the pre-call, you were talking a little bit about um, how you tried to have a separate, you know, data product owner and like hire for an actual data product owner. And that didn't really work as well. So we'd love to hear kind of how, like, what were some things that uh, you tried that didn't work as well on that? But like, how did people also take on the concept of we're going to have new responsibilities and do we need those new roles? I mean, we can explain how things were before. So the, yeah. the concept before was like, uh, okay, I want to have analytics. So they go to the product manager. The product manager was like, oh, okay, 
this is the credential of the database, go and figure it out. And uh, yeah, and we said, okay, this is, not, is not, this is not working anymore. So we said that you as product managers, you need to define it, you need to uh, split your operational data and have also an analytical data. And they were like, what? What's that? Yeah, that, <laughs> was, well. that didn't work well. Plus, you need to have a data engineer in your team. We tried to introduce the data steward concept, which again, didn't really <laughs> work well. So in a way, we're adding roles and we're adding responsibilities to teams that they were already stressed and uh, overwhelmed with other stuff. Uh, so, I mean, of course, I can give more details on, on on a lower level, but these were the challenges that they felt like we're giving them the responsibilities of the data engineering team that they used to have. So we're like, so we're going to be doing all the work, so what are you guys going to be doing? So we had issues like <laughs> Yeah, uh, pretty much is how um, I actually explained the new responsibilities, and I, I put new in quotes uh, to the product managers and engineering managers, is that uh, pretty much you, you do not have to do... Um, it's not a new role that you have to um, to implement uh, in your team or in your product. Uh, you already have a responsibility on your data. And since currently uh, you have both your analytical and operational data in one place, you again have the responsibility, of accessibility, discoverability, and so on. Um, the only thing that we ask you to do, and we're going to help you do that as uh, seamless as possible, is to make your data more presentable so someone else can use them. This is how I describe to them. And pretty much, yeah, there are many roles uh, and uh, many names out there. But uh, how we implement it is that we gave the, the product manager the domain ownership, the, the data product ownership, and uh, the engineering manager the technical ownership, where he can use their resources However, he wants to facilitate the requests and the needs of the data product. And uh, this is pretty much how we managed to come into terms with uh, the rest of the department's products. Yeah, because here at Scott, again, we did the, the, the mistake to follow things by the book or by making assumptions of, of improvising that, okay, so it makes sense for them to have data product manager in the team and to have data engineer, but at the end it's, they're already storing data in a database. So it's just doing some additional work on that. And the product managers are already in a way defining how they're going to store and process data. So you don't need to have new people on your team. It's just, you just have an additional, how to say, uh, artifact to deal with on your day-to-day, which you're already doing it. It's just, you don't pay that much attention to. I just want to add a disclaimer here. It's also helped the, the stack, the technical stack that we chose. Uh, and uh, it uh, the, the responsibilities might differ in different stacks that you're going to use. Well, and I think it's interesting where I've, I've had a couple of these conversations, especially like Orpheum isn't a 10,000 person company, right? So you don't necessarily have all the exact same problems that Jamak was imagining when she was coming up with the concept. And so um, a lot of what you're doing, it sounds like it's incrementally better versus it's 
where you would want it to be if it were super, super easy to be, right? Where you want these full data products, you want all this stuff that's super complex and complicated that that would be super, super high value. But the return on doing that isn't there. So it makes literally no sense to to hire into, like when if you've got a domain of 15 people, are you really going to hire in, uh, uh, you know, multiple data engineers, a data engineer and a couple of different data product owners, or does it make sense to get them headed in the direction that they understand that there is this, this differentiation between things that are used for operational, like actual transactional purposes, and that things that are, are used for analytical purposes that may flow back into those operational systems. Again, when you think about ML, um, you know, training the model is the analytical side, but the operational side is the model in production, right? Like it's it's doing the the live thing against the data, and so um, I think getting them to really bifurcate that is is a a useful approach to to just even conceptually think about, and that um, you know I think what what I would say is if if we're talking to a company of again where their domains are hundreds of people, you know, I, I had uh, Omar Kawaja on from uh, from Roche, and he was talking about, you know, uh, well, we kind of have to have the BI team inside each domain and things like that, right? Because Roche is a massive, massive, massive company. And so when you've got a domain of, you know, many hundreds to thousands of people, it makes sense. But what you're talking about is making this clear and making it something that is part of their kind of conscious approach to what they're doing, having intentionality around making analytics, maybe not even a first class concern, but instead of if, uh, you know, operational is a first class concern and analytics is a 17th class concern, it's one and a half class concern, right? You want to get it towards first class, but it might not be there immediately, but that it's a journey. And so I, I think, I mean, I don't want to put those words in your mouth, but it sounds like that's what you're really talking about is you wanted, you, you saw the kind of the end state that Jamak had talked about and said, we want that. And then as soon as you started to see it, it was like, well, the cost doesn't actually make it any sense for this because we're not going to have enough return to make sense for this. So let's back off a little bit and say, what is sensible? And I think this is exactly when exactly, people talk yeah. about data yeah. for startups and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the thing of like, is your you most startups the centralization isn't even the bottleneck, right? It was becoming a bottleneck for you because you're so ML and, and data heavy in, in the stuff that you were doing. So relative to headcount, I think at least on LinkedIn, it looks like you've got seven, 800 people, something like that. Um, most startups, even at that, at that phase, the centralization isn't the real issue, right? It was clearly becoming an issue for you enough where you said, we, we can't keep doing this or we're going to have to, you know, um, when Justin Cunningham was on talking about Yelp, he was like, yeah, to really go where we wanted to, we actually would have had to hire 10x our data team unless we built out this self-serve capability, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So I, I think like you, this is a very, very sensible story. And it's, it's good to hear about somebody like approaching this sensibly and saying, hey, this we don't have to go this full way just yet. It, hopefully we grow into a place where we're in a complicated enough situation where we do have to. But I think that's just, it's, you know, I don't mean to talk so much, but it's like, I think it's really important to hit on that point and give people permission to not have to go all this far. If you are a 50,000 person company, I'm sorry, I'm going to revoke that permission. You do have to go this far (laughs) or you have to head this way. You don't have to get there immediately. You know, many people that have been on like H&M, they're kind of just getting to launching a lot of their initial data products. And they've been on it since literally pretty much the first week that the article came out, right? <laughs> They've been on it for three years. So it's, it's okay. But um, so I, I would love to give you time to react to that. But I also would love to jump into the conversation about like, just what the heck is a data product, right? Because I think this is part of as well of your your definition might not be the data, the official data quantum definition from the the book, but like, how do you explain it to people and, and that? But first, I want to give you time to react to a lot of what I just said. Actually, I'm just trying to imagine applying that animation on 16,000 or such teams out. I mean, we are like 200, 250, and it was a huge challenge. <laughs> I don't know how that can be introducing such big, bigger teams. And we have around 10, 10 products or 15 products, 10, 15 products. Um, but we're heavy analytics and heavy data science driven. So I think that is one of our um, biggest challenges. That's why we, we wanted to introduce the concept. But honestly, on such a big scale, I don't know how you can, uh, how you can apply this. It's team by team. It's a huge challenge, yeah. But you do get you do get a lot of uh, data points in order to build out your platform where you've got yeah. 50, you know, you've got 100 domain teams so that you can actually say, what are all the needs? Maybe maybe for us, it feels more challenging because we are pretty much touching 10, 15 different teams. And we are not like, okay, if you go on such a big scale, you say, okay, I'm just going to take one team. But because we're in a smaller scale, in a way, we are pretty much incrementally touching everyone. So maybe this is why we were that challenged because we are a smaller scale than other guys. But well, yeah, and if you try and go forward with all of them at once, there's there's so much noise versus. But at the same point, what I'm finding is a lot of times people have one team that they work with first, and then they try and jump it out to four or five teams to at least take in the requirements. So that they know that they are building enough on their platform side to serve all of those. But when you've got 10 or 15, and especially with, it sounds like you've got data mature teams, right? They all have very complex needs, right? You you aren't in this thing where you've got the kind of low-hanging fruit teams, right? You didn't have that luxury. <laughs> so, yeah. so it kind of makes sense. Like you, the fact that your teams were were more data mature kind of bit you. Um, so, and, and Kostas, I wanted to make sure that, that you had some time as well to, to react to a lot of that. Yeah, actually, I, I concur with Argiri's uh, <laughs> uh, realization, but um, yeah, for us, uh, the low-hanging the low-hanging fruit um, wasn't exactly there. There were some cases, but um, 
as I, as I can see, you have two two options. You you either have to you can go with um with a team that can bring a lot of value back, but it might be difficult to do that. But you can describe the, the whole data mesh value easier, or you can start going uh, and searching for uh, small cases that can potentially bring some value and build on top of that. Uh, we went with the hybrid approach because, uh, as I said before, we started inside our team, uh, inside data team and not uh, in general. But uh, yeah, this is the the way that we we try to to implement it in a scale of 200, 250 people. If if you were to if you were able to go back and start it all over again, is there anything that you would like any advice that you would give yourself? Uh, would it just be like be kind to yourself? This is going to take a while. It's a journey, or like what? If there's anything that you would kind of tell yourself? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, at first, I will never mention the the, the keyword data mesh and start start. Uh, um, camouflage it a bit and uh, speaking more of a, about the value, not the, the terminology. And uh, the second part is um, start a little bit slower on the technology part. We, we also, as Argiri said, we envisioned the end goal and we immediately start looking for the technology stack to facilitate the end goal. Um, start small. Uh, maybe a data warehouse, maybe a catalog or something like that, and then eventually branch out and find uh, the technology stack that fits you better. Yeah, I will. I, I will say that I will. I mean, okay, it's one thing to say I will focus on one team. I think it is is more interesting to focus on one flow, like one end-to-end flow of a, of a service, let's say. Or for value stream, and then take that entire flow and try to see if you can apply some of the principles. Because we are just diving in in different aspects of it. So we are focusing more on the tech stack and how they're going to move the data there and how they're going to structure them. So sometimes we didn't really saw the big picture. We were just diving in directly and starting to changing stuff. So what I will do different next time is just see the entire flow of a product team. What is the input? What is the output? What is uh, in between? And who are the different stakeholders involved, et cetera? And then try to apply all these different principles on the entire flow, incrementally, one piece by piece. Because in most cases, we didn't have the big picture. We're just diving on specific aspects of it. And if I will do something different, this is how I will approach it uh, the next time. That's that's, I think, a very, very valuable feedback for a lot of people. I think the more that we can say, what would you do differently? Um, so uh, uh, one question that comes up repeatedly um, is, what is a data product, right? And most of the time when this comes up in like the, the data mesh learning Slack or anything like that, it is, okay... I'm going to start talking technical and I'm going to start talking affordances and I'm going to talk input ports and output ports and all of this. I would love to hear kind of how you've and how you've augmented your your idea of what is a data product. But like, how did you start by trying to just explain this to people and, and what have you found that actually works well, 
right? You talked a little bit about it earlier of, of um, kind of talking a little bit more in their language, but I would love to kind of understand what that journey is and, and what your journey around understanding what this should be for yourselves versus what the book says it is, because, you know, it, it is very different when you actually start to put it into it, because everybody, every situation is different, even inside every domain and then every company. And, you know, there isn't a way to say that this is exactly what this looks like. Uh, I mean, if, if I can see that there are two, two aspects of it. So one is a product, how you see it from the product side. And the other one is how you see it from the technical side. So the house, I can, I can give you more, uh, description of product product wise how we define data as product and process can give you the, the technical how part of it. So I would say data product for us and for our context and how we defined it, it's it's like a product like any other product, which means it's a problem that we're trying to solve. We have the customers, um, why are we doing it, etc. And then for us, uh, the deliverable is 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 an API that delivers data. It's just a specific view with specific information that someone can take and then visualize or use those data to enrich something else. So like we say, and we define uh, an API is a product for someone. For us, data products is something similar. It's again, it's a deliverable that solves a specific problem, which in a way exposes data for other people to use them in whatever way they want to use. Again, we're solving a problem for a specific persona, etc. So that's the, the product definition of data as product internally for us, if it makes sense. <laughs> well, and I feel like people would push back and be like, no, it's got to be more than that. And it's like, well, if that gets the job done, why does it have to be more than that? Right? Yeah. I mean, for us, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Because some people might say, uh, no, data as a product is, is the actual dashboard of the BI. That's the deliverable. And we're like, no, it's it's before that. I mean, we're preparing the data so you can use them. That, that is our deliverable. That is our output. And that's how we define it. it. That doesn't mean that's the that's a rule. That's what makes sense for us. And, and I am finding in certain organizations that people are extending it further into the visualization or the dashboard or the whatever. But like, that's where you define it, right? Like that's where there is agreement and you say, okay, you know, and you, you probably at some point will find this, that there will be a dashboard, you know, you're very ML and, and data science heavy, AI heavy. Um, but there will probably be some, some point when the, there are exact dashboards and somebody has got to own it. Right. And so you're, do you have a centralized data analyst team at that point or who really owns that? At some point, you'll probably have somebody who's owning that as if it were a product. And it might not be that your data products are into that and that you are just saying that, no, okay, the dashboard itself is a product because this is how we're exposing information for others to consume. But if you don't need to go there right now, why go there? And 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 I think it's it's valid for for people to have those lines. But I think so much of what you're what's coming through here is really look at your own situation and what makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense for you. That's I mean we have a discussion with Costas a lot of time, and we're like, 
yeah, there is this concept of we're building data products for multiple teams to use them because we have a lot of data that are, there is a need of to be used across different teams. And so we said, okay, we're going to go up to that level to provide the information. Then they can use it as a like. Of course, we get the requirements of how the visualization is going to be. So that's how we design it. But at the end, we don't have the ownership or the responsibility of that deliverable. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like building a platform for people to go on top and build other stuff. So in a way, that's what we're currently doing. That's how we see data as a product for us. And then, Kostas, did you want to give any, uh, uh, you know, if you want to go into as crazy of definition on the technical <laughs> side, you can, but uh, also just kind of what, what do you think is important around what is a, a data product when it comes to the technical aspects? Yeah, the, the technical aspect, the, the thing that I always say and present a data product to technical people is it's the same thing as a REST API. A REST API can be actually a data product, but when you um, expose data, share data out there in any by any means, uh, you have to follow some rules. You have to follow some principles. And uh, in the technical aspect, your your data should be readable. Your data should be valid. So, things that they already do in their operational data. And um, yeah, they have to be discoverable. You cannot you know, go out there and say, this is my API, but do not provide documentation or do not provide the base URL or something like that. Uh, and obviously they can be accessible. When you share data out there, they need to be able to, you know, query the data, request the data, in order to to move forward. For me, yeah, a data product uh, is the data that have interfaces around them, and those interfaces are not something unfamiliar to the engineers. We're already using interfaces like this, but depends on the occasion and how you have built your technical stack. It might differ, but the principles are there. And that question of how do you build an analytical API keeps coming up because how do you build a, you know, most APIs request single records or things like that, or maybe a small group of records. So when you want to pull, you know, a hundred thousand records, are you really having a pagination through each one where it's like, okay, I want to pull the, okay, one, two, three, and it's serving each one individually. And People don't, so there, there is some difference in how you do that, but exactly what you're talking about of the mechanism of we make it easy for someone to come and get what they need, right? Like this is, this is when you think about a product, people think about, um, you know, a software product. And I think that's actually a bad place to start from versus think about a, a, box, of, a box of mac and cheese, you go to the store and you get everything you need to make it outside of you know the pot or whatever, but there's information and packaging and there's something that draws people's eye to it. So you you have that ability to bring people in and say you should do this, right? Like you should look at this. You should you should consider using this this data product. So I, I think you and even though you went uh, when uh, Argiris kicked it to you to do technical, you didn't go overly technical. And I think that's the right approach, right? I think that the, the, so much of what you're coming through here is we have to think about who's consuming it and why, and how do we talk to them about this, right? Even Or who's producing it and why, 
And how do we talk to them about this? And if you just say it's just like an API, it might not have the perfect output of exactly what you would want it to do, but it gets the job done. And it's, it's far better than what it was. And it puts you in a good solution to figure out Nobody knows how to do analytical APIs. Anytime I bring this this conversation up, this question up, there are people that are like, oh, you can just pull data via API. We know how to do that. And it's like, yeah, you're pulling data. You're not pulling the information, the knowledge, the actual like large scale analytical queries. So um, exactly. I, I think you're approaching it from a very sensible perspective, which I, I appreciate. Um, so uh, happy to give space to, to react to that as well. But I've as we're wrapping up as well, I wanted to talk about your data doctor concept because I think that's that's really, really helpful as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is actually uh, really new as a concept uh, in our company. Um, basically, the, the motto or the catch line of the data doctor is that you bring your data symptoms and you get a prescription. Uh, it's uh, nothing else, nothing more. Uh, the data docker is not going to uh, be hands-on or solve, solve you the problem. It's going to tell you how to solve the problem. This is, um, for me, uh, data doctor can be used um, both ways. Uh, the, the, the first, on, on the one hand, you can use, use him as an advocate, uh, best practices, enable others, and so on. And on the other hand, um, you can have him as your, in quotes, uh, governance uh, uh, guy or guys or people um, that um, can help you uh, move one step forward. Uh, we have started the concept. Uh, currently, is more like office hours. Um, someone can uh, approach uh, approach their doctor. Um, talk to him, um, describe him uh, or her the problems, and uh, the data doctor is going to provide solutions, material, uh, and sometimes uh, go hands-on with the actual, the, the actual person. But never the doctor is going to solve the problem by themselves. You know, uh, it's always a collaborative way in order to enable the others and... Um, it's the ways of how we use the self-serve infrastructure and so on. That's why it's data doctor, not data surgeon. They're not the ones doing exactly. the work. They're not doing the... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that because I, I kind of think of myself in certain ways as a data mesh doctor for people's implementations. I'm not going to get overly specific into anything. I'm going to connect them to the resources to actually have those conversations with people that are doing it that can help them more. And I'm just that kind of flow traffic, right? I'm that person that's, that's, um, you know, having empathy and that they have a place to go when they have these challenges, but also that, um, I'm not the person that's going to fix things for people because that's not scalable, right? That's that exactly. if your data doctor is fixing the things then you've got a centralized data doctor. And then do you have to build out a data practice where all of a sudden you've got now 70 data doctors that are doing all the things or how, you know, you're, you're, you're not coming to a local fisherman to hand out fish that, that fisherman is teaching people how to fish. Right. And so you're upskilling them. It's almost like its own 
data literacy program as well, because presumably as somebody runs across the same problem, they don't have to keep going back to the data doctor and go, you know, hey, I know when I told you that I did this and it hurt, you told me to stop doing this, but I'm coming back to you because when I do this, it hurts. <laughs> it's like, we'll stop doing exactly, this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And one of the things that um, uh, we usually um, advocate is if a question arises or if a problem appears and we solve it, then we document it. We urge the person that solved the problem to document it. And we have places, we have the data catalog, we have other places uh, to document things like that uh, in order to avoid doing the same mistake or avoid keep running to the same problem over and over again. And uh, this is one of the main uh, responsibilities of the doctor to make sure that um, once the problem is solved, it's documented that it's somewhere central where everyone can see it and be able to, um, you know, be able to solve their problems by themselves, self-serve. Yeah, you, you create that library repository of this is this is challenges that we've seen, and here's yeah. how here's how we want to solve them. Here's our best practice internally, and that you make that just easy so that way yeah exactly what you said if if multiple people have the same challenge which happens in a lot of data it's this is kind of what i'm trying to do with the data mesh community is is create a place where we're openly sharing because so much of this even these these context exchange happens behind closed doors so each person only learns what they're able to get to from conversations with with in one on one with others versus me just kind of being the idiot out here running around, just asking the the questions that haven't really been asked publicly, right? Like, I don't, I don't think I'm actually, you know, any more knowledgeable than than a lot of other people, other than I've had so many of these conversations and I've just extracted the context constantly. So, and that I can sum that up based on on what I've I've uh, chatted with people about, and so. I think that you've got a good system for kind of making that scalable internally as well. Um, Argyris, did you have anything you wanted to add about uh, Data Doctor? No, the only thing that I can add is that this was something that um, came up uh, organically based on the challenges and how uh, the whole concept was progressing. And it was something that just uh, came up from the team that, Okay, there is a need to have this sort of uh, initiative in place, and that's how it started. So we didn't really—I don't know, Costas, if you read anything about it. I think it just just came out of necessity. This concept. Yeah, you know, I, I, we haven't heard, we haven't read any, anything about data doctors or something similar. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we were in a uh, in a room planning about you know the next half of the year, and. Uh, it, it, it came up organically in the conversation. Like, oh yeah, we need to do office hours. We need to be able to provide, to share our knowledge, to share our best practices, uh, share our problems that we have already been into because we have kickstarted the whole thing. We have already faced a lot of problems. We need to find a way to share those things. And uh, one thing led to another, and we named it Data Doctor. <laughs> well, it almost feels like it's a principal data engineer that is shared 
across to everybody and that that it is because like this is what principal engineers are supposed to do right like yeah somewhat senior engineers but like principal engineers typically don't write any any code right they're there to help guide people say that oh this challenge has been solved by other people here's a good way of doing this and that you've got that kind of centralized approach but it's also not a bottleneck from a centralization because like this is the thing. It, it's almost like it's part of your platform. It's just a data literacy learning platform type aspect because it's an enabler instead of it's a bottleneck, right? It's not like you said. You're not making. You're making sure that that person isn't doing the work there, or the, the people or whatever you've got that are kind of in this in this spot. That you're making it so that you're you're uh, dispersing this knowledge in, into so many different places. So it does make everybody's jobs easier. And, and it's probably kind of fun for, for people to go to the data doctor and go, you know, which isn't necessarily the case for most doctors, but, um, you know, maybe some pediatricians that make it fun and do like the whole puppet thing or whatever. But, um, I I guess maybe there are some adult doctors that do that as well, but, uh, but that, people get to learn something, right? They get to, to, to not just solve their challenge, but they get to, or not have their cha- challenge solved, but engineers like to solve challenges, right? And so if you, you are teaching them to, to, to do it themselves, they feel empowered to learn more and do stuff more themselves. So I, I think it's just a really neat, neat, uh, thing that you've that presumably come up with. I haven't, I haven't heard of this either. And I think it's, it's really useful to, to really think about that. And, and it like, uh, the people from Lebonecoin were on, um, Stephanie and, and Simon, and they were talking about their, they're having issues with guilds because the information within the guilds is getting stronger and stronger, but there's no way for that information to kind of escape the guilds, right? There isn't any sharing outside of their guild of, okay, the data engineering guild are sharing more and more information about how to do streaming, but they're not sharing it with the software engineers. So like, how do you, I I like this to kind of help solve that challenge. I think it's similar to the staff engineer concept that you have someone that is senior and goes, sits within the teams and and shares knowledge and and ideas and and sometimes even gets a little bit hands-on. So I think I will say, similar to that uh, concept in that role. But it's that engineering specific orient. Yeah, it's all that knowledge that came out of this team. Yeah, the the, um, the context is, is very similar uh, between the, the principal or the staff. Or, um, but the only thing that we did is to enhance it with the data mess knowledge and uh, the big data practices. And the most important of all is to give it a catch na- catchy no- name, you know, a-, a nice name for others to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I went to the data doctor or something like that. You need to, to create that fun to, to be able to, to spark everything. M- making, removing the intimidation factor, right? Like so much yeah. around data, especially if people don't know, like a doctor is there to help you, right? Like that's their job. Right versus okay, this is the uh, principal staff data engineer, and when you have challenges, you must come and sit at the feet of the principal staff data engineer. Versus like the doctor is there to be helpful. Like <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. 
that was the concept behind it. <laughs> I like it a lot. So, um, so we've covered a whole lot of things. Um, I think this is going to be super helpful for people, especially anybody who's feeling like they're alone with uh, challenges around data mesh, which I keep trying to tell people, you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. Um, but is there anything we didn't cover that you you wanted to, or is there any way that you'd kind of want to wrap up the uh, conversation here? I think we pretty much cover everything. One thing that I can uh, share is that we didn't follow data mesh because it was something new and shining and we needed to follow this new concept. We followed data mesh because most of the problems that were described was the problems that we were facing. And we're like, okay, so these are the problems that we're facing. And there is an idea here on how we can resolve them. And that's how we follow it. So if I can say something to people, it's just, if it makes sense for you, then go and pursue it. Uh, just don't go and pursue it because it's the data measure and it's something new and everybody's working on it. So with, without sabotaging data measure, I'm just saying that we followed it because it really clicked on us and it really touched our pain point. Yeah. If, if I had a nickel for every time <laughs> people to not do data mesh, I would, I would be rich, right? I'd be able to retire. I keep telling people you shouldn't do it unless it really fits for you. Uh, Kostas, anything you wanted to add there? Um, I think we pretty much covered everything. The okay. only thing, a, a catchy phrase that I want to add is that data mesh, when you implement it, it's not a sprint, but it's a long way marathon. It takes time and patience and, and so on. So yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah. I totally agree. It's definitely a marathon. It's, <laughs> um, well, we're, uh, isn't a marathon from Greece. So, uh, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it makes perfect sense. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be people who want to follow up with you about kind of what we, we covered today and, and your, your journey and everything. Uh, what's the best place to do that? And, uh, what would you want people following up with you about? For me, it's uh, LinkedIn. I think it's uh, the best place. I'm the most active and I always respond to messages and so on. So LinkedIn for me is uh, the way to go. If you, if someone wants to reach to me, kind of go through that. Yeah, same for me. And I will say that I guess for Costas would be interesting to um, discuss other people to share like experiences and how they solve problems it's always good to hear other perspectives and how other people reacted to the challenges it gives us ideas and inspiration on how we can solve problems yeah, if anyone definitely. wants to share something or if anyone wants to learn more of the things that we uh, work with uh, we would be more than happy to uh, chat yeah, I was, I was looking at trying to create a uh, kind of community of just like the people leading the implementations, but it, it just got too messy. But I think that <laughs> I would love for somebody to kind of facilitate that. And, and, and you know, in a lot of episodes, I've told people, um, reach out to each other, right? Like, there are people like there are a number of guests who have been on and all the guests want to talk to people about this stuff, right? That's part of why yeah. they're on. And so um, the, it, it's that nobody's willing to take that first step, and it's like just step up and 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 ask, and and so. I, I think I think Scott. Okay, maybe it's it's out of the context of the podcast, and I also seen that you sometimes reacted to comments. It's like 
people started talking about data managers that it's something old and we have these new things that we need to follow. And I started to see this reaction outside. I don't know how you notice it. You notice it as well. I don't understand. It's like it's like it's like data is 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 the past and now we're gonna follow this and this is how you move from data mesh to this new concept and I, I don't get that. I don't get that. Uh, it, people, I don't know if you notice that. It's like Yeah. Guys who haven't even <laughs> seen that in action yet. People are frustrated that it's not a technology based approach. And yeah. And, you know, you look at a lot of the analysts and things out there, they've done recommendations as a technology-based approach. And so going to data people and saying, hey, here's a bunch of conceptual thinking doesn't make a lot of those data people very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that that was actually a very hard part to to explain. When you you bring a new term into the into a company, you need to make sure that okay, yeah, data mesh is not a technology, it's not a framework, it's just a set of principles. That's it. And and frameworks flow from it and all that, but yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You start from the principles and then it organically grows. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for the time. I, I really enjoyed the conversation today. And sorry, my, my dog has decided that, that the conversation <laughs> needs to end here. But thank you so much for, for taking the time today. And, and also thank you, everyone out there for listening. Thanks. Thank you all. Thank you very much for having us. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Argiris Argiro, who's the head of data, and Constantino or Costas. Uh, Seattleis, who's the director of Big Data at Orpheum. You can find links to their LinkedIn profiles in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.